Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Final hour of the Tuesday edition, OutKick 360 rolls on across the OutKick network. If you're viewing us at OutKick.com, streaming us live there, uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Plus, uh, if you're listening across the OutKick network uh, to this great radio partner, we say thank you. Uh, Chad, coming up, we've got Billy Lucci of TexAgs.com, the very latest from College Station, just to figure out, like, the vibe on the buyout for for Jimbo Fisher and whether or not his tune has changed, Billy's has changed, on if it's possible they would pay upwards of $90 million. Billy's been very consistent that, that it's not going to happen, that they're right. going to have – it's going to take Jimbo Fisher looking in the mirror and changing things. Frank Isola joins us, SiriusXM NBA host, plus one of the best ESPN contributor. Absolutely, Frank. Thank you for the time, man. Hope you're well. Good. How are you guys doing? Have they built that football stadium in Nashville yet? You know, um, they haven't, and I can already see it now, even though it's like six years away. So uh, maybe you'll, we'll see you there. It a, looks like a hotel uh, when you look at the outside yeah. of that thing. The rendering, for either it. that or a Top Golf. Yeah. Well, you got something that we don't have in New York. You have a nice uh, soccer stadium, which well, is pretty cool. So. Yeah. And maybe we'll get the you know championship game or who knows a Super Bowl. Although it'll be interesting. There's a rule about uh, capacity for a Super Bowl. This one's going to be well below that. It's going to be around sixty. Oh, around sixty thousand. Yeah, usually the big thing for the Super Bowl, it's like the NBA All Star Game. You need a certain amount of yeah. hotel rooms. That's why places like well, Portland yeah. hasn't had the All Star Game. You know, the small of the city, they don't they won't have it there. Yeah, uh, Frank, the craziness with the Brooklyn Nets, and we were covering it on the show this offseason really? about craziness uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. Well, let's start with this. I was I was surprised Durant came back, um, yeah, and came back with Steve Nash. So how how did that all go down to where Durant, who's known for just saying "Hey, I'm out," came back with the coach he apparently didn't want to play for anymore, and then what? Six games in, seven games in, Nash is no longer there. Why did they start the season with Steve Nash? Well, Kevin Durant coming back was pretty simple. You know, he wanted, he has to be traded and the Nets were smart. They said, sure, we'll trade you. And they made it clear they were only going to trade him for a deal that they thought was good for them. So they were asking for the moon. They called the Boston Celtics up and they're asking for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. The Celtics aren't going to do that. So with no other options left, and remember, Kevin Durant had signed a four-year extension with the Brooklyn Nets. So it wasn't like he's entering the last year of his contract and they're under pressure to get rid of him. And the one thing about Kevin Durant, who does, you know, he's active on Twitter. He might do some wacky things, but he's going to play hard when he's out there and he's going to play pretty well. So I think the idea was come back, see if you like it here. Maybe at some point, if you still want to go, we'll let you go. But, you know, it's weird because he had a good relationship with Steve Nash. From what I heard, he kind of just said that as leverage, trying to force their hand. But guess what? Steve Nash ended up getting fired. And then when they asked Kevin Durant about it, he said, I'm shocked. And I'm thinking, well, how can you say you're shocked? When you're the guy that asked for the guy to be out, unless you're shocked that they actually listened to you, maybe that's what he was shocked by. Was Steve Nash really a bad coach, or was this simply a situation that he was never going to be able to win 
when he took the job with that group? Well, think about this, right? So if you go back two years ago and James Harden had been acquired from the Houston Rockets and they gave up a lot to get him and Kyrie Irving was healthy and Kevin Durant was Kevin Durant, they beat Boston in five games. That was a gentleman's sweep. They blow out Milwaukee in games one and two of the second round. That's the team that goes on to win the championship. Then what happens? James Harden gets hurt. Kyrie Irving got hurt in the, uh, in game four. And then they end up losing in game seven. And they they lost by a toe because Kevin Durant hit a game-tying shot. If his foot is an inch behind the line, they win that game. They play Atlanta. So they were that when they were doing that, winning six of their first seven playoff games, no one was saying Steve Nash was a bad coach. When Steve Nash became a bad coach is when James Harden shows up out of shape and doesn't want to be there anymore. And then Kyrie Irving with the vaccination status is uh, a part-time player because at first the Nets didn't even want to play in any games. Then they eventually let him back to play the uh, road games and Kevin Durant got hurt. Then, yeah, he's not a good coach when he doesn't have his best players. But guess what? That's true of just about every coach in every sport. Frank Isola with this uh, Sirius XM NBA radio host, ESPN contributor, and much more. Um, where did it fall apart with Yudoka being the, the the head coach after it, it was assumed <laughs> that was going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Ime Yudoka had been an, a net assistant coach. He was a net assistant coach um, two seasons ago when they made that run in the playoffs. So he had a relationship there. Obviously, Sean Marks. The general manager is San Antonio Spurs. You know, the the NBA or basketball in general is run by the three families. It's Duke University, it's the Spurs, and it's USA Basketball. It's like the mob families of the of basketball. So they had the connection there. But I think when all this Kyrie Irving stuff, number one, was going down, then all of a sudden they fire Steve Nash and he made Adoka's name comes up. And I think the league, this is what I believed happened. I don't know it for a fact, but I think the league stepped in and said, hang on a second. How are you going to hire a guy that currently is suspended by one team and now bring him into work for you? And by the way, guys, that was impacting the Boston Celtic locker room. From what I heard, guys like Marcus Smart came out publicly and said it, but I think Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, their position was, wait, so the guy you're telling him, you're telling us he can't coach us, but he can coach one of our rivals. That doesn't make any sense. So that whole thing probably messed up the Boston Celtics more than it did the Brooklyn Nets, believe it or not. It feels like a lot of things, and this is not just the NBA or the Nets, but organizations kind of akin to the kicker going out if it's windy in football and taking some grass off the ground and tossing it in the air and seeing which way the wind is blowing. I felt like the Udoka situation was a little bit of that to see how negative the reaction would be once stories were out there that he might get yeah. hired. And I think there's some of that going on with Kyrie Irving in the whole situation. Yeah. It seems to be back and forth day to day in terms of reaction. It's not often you get Dave Chappelle joking about your team if you're the Brooklyn Nets in his SNL yeah. monologue. How do you view all of this, Frank? Well, um, and you're 100% right. I kind of think also the Ime Doka thing was floated out there like a trial balloon to, to some in some respects. You know, the Kyrie Irving thing, you know, so when it happened, and so now it's about 16 days ago. It was that Saturday night when he had the press conference, and, he, you know, the whole back and forth with Nick Friedel over putting something on your – posting something on social media, does that mean you're promoting it? Of course, in theory, he's promoting it. Who knew about the darn thing before Kyrie Irving uh, tweeted it and then everyone kept talking about it? So in theory, that is promotion. But I think – I thought the league kind of dropped the ball because I think, you know, if David Stern were around, I think David Stern would have met with Kyrie Irving pretty quickly and said, I need you to do this, this, or that, and if you don't do it, you're going to be in big trouble with me. That would have been a very private meeting that would have taken place – 
and David Stern would have been pretty heavy handed. And I think it would have ended there. I think, you know, as the days went by and then Kyrie had the press conference and then that kind of blew up. The next day, the league came out with a statement. Then they finally then they decide to suspend him. And then Kyrie apologized. And now, you know, they set these parameters, which I don't think are outrageous. The one that I think if I were Kyrie Irving, you know, you're telling me to meet with uh, do sensitivity training. You want me to apologize? You want me to meet with Jewish leaders? Okay. I got to now give you $500,000. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds a little bit like extortion. The other ones I could kind of see. And really for him, if he wants to play in another market like LA or Miami, it's not the worst thing to probably do those. The $500,000, that one I'm a little uncomfortable with. Uh, is it is it fair or unfair to say David Stern would have done something and then we would have reacted and Adam Silver reacts to the reaction? Is that an overstep? Uh, I, I think that's pretty fair. I think they let, and I think that's why their statement last Friday, I believe it was. I think it was more about the league telling the public, yes, this is an issue that we care about. Yes, we are addressing it with Kyrie Irving. But again, I, I just thought he waited way too long. That happened on a Saturday night. I would think even by Sunday or Monday, they just should have met with Kyrie Irving. Guys, remember, I understand the traffic from Brooklyn to New York City sometimes could be a little nutty. There was no reason why they couldn't have met over a day or two. You're not asking the guy to fly in from Memphis for crying out loud. He was, you know, they were both in New York for a week. Yeah, and how much of the reaction to the reaction is waiting on <laughs> LeBron James' reaction in any of these stories? Yeah. How much weight does that carry when he sends out a tweet, either condemning something, embracing it, whatever it may be on any topic? How much weight does that carry? Well, he, I mean, I would say that LeBron and Chris Paul are the most powerful players in the league. I don't think there's any question about that. But I also think the timing of what LeBron said, where he kind of, at first he waited, then he talked about hate speech, not really mentioned Kyrie's name. Then when he came out and said the punishment was excessive, that was right around the time Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, who happens to be a vice president in the union, said the same thing. So I have a feeling that LeBron, and you know that the union keeps in close contact with LeBron, I think he knew where Adam Silver was going to go. And I think he kind of knew, you know what, it's probably safe for me now to come out and say this stuff and de and defend Kyrie Irving publicly. Because I also, I think deep down, he might have been you know, trying to create a soft landing spot for Kyrie to potentially end on the Lakers. Do I know if that's going to happen? I think I have no idea. But I think that's, you know, Kyrie wants to go there. I think the Lakers would love nothing more than to trade Russell Westbrook for Kyrie. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think part of LeBron, you know, Le LeBron is like that. There's, a, you know, there's always, there's an agenda to everything. And part of his agenda is getting Kyrie Irving in L.A. for Russell Westbrook. Well, he certainly made it known, too, LeBron has about the franchise in Vegas that he wants to be a yeah. part of. How close are we to that happening in the NBA? Well, think about this, right? So the NBA always was had something to do with Vegas. They had the Summer League there, which is completely blown up. I mean, it's amazing how many fans go to it. It's become like the NBA Summer Convention. You'll see everybody from Jerry West to the number one overall pick of the draft will be out in Vegas. So the NBA had the All-Star Game there. They had Summer League out there. And then what happened? All these other leagues ended up going. I get it. They have a WNBA team. But to get the hockey team there and you have – Obviously, football, maybe there's a chance the Oakland A's are going to end up out there. It's going to happen at some point. I don't think there's any question about it. It's all, you, you mentioned you know, uh, you know, know, trial balloons before. I think that's kind of what it was. Maybe get other teams in there first, then the NBA will go. And you guys will love this one. If you talk to NBA people, they think whatever NBA team goes there will have an advantage. Because think about it. Let's say you're playing Denver on a Thursday night. 
By the time the game ends, you fly to Vegas, maybe the plane lands at 2, 2.30, the town is still open. And maybe you're playing the next night. So coaches, when they're going, it's just like Miami has an advantage. Atlanta has an advantage in the NBA. New York City, there's an advantage. Vegas is going to have an advantage as well. These coaches are going to be having their team stay out in Henderson or somewhere in the <laughs> suburbs right. to try to avoid that. Not if they that's want to right. keep their jobs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. the, the, hey, it'll be like Iverson. Iverson used to just leave whatever he had in the hotel room You know, on these trips. You go to that's Vegas, right. every, every player's doing that. You know, right? you know where he went when he played for Philly? He always made the drive to Atlantic City. <laughs> I would too. That's Why where not? he was always <laughs> hanging out. Frank Isola has been our guest. Um, down the road here, um, who's the team that you feel like? The Lakers. When does the Lakers saga of losing become old for you to continue to discuss on camera like when do you feel like you're repeating the same thing over and over and over even though i get it it's lebron and it's, yeah. the, lakers. it's the lakers but yeah man they're they're really hard to watch and oh. it looked like lebron the way th- this is going it reminds me of like the patriots last year with brady where they were winning but they really weren't that good yeah, you know yeah. they bowed out to the titans in the wild card round like you felt like it was over I feel like we're watching LeBron at the end, but LeBron's talking about playing with his son. Yeah. Well, you you guys know this. I mean, especially where you guys are located. You know, college football, it's about the season and the games. The NFL, it's the same thing. All Every game is meaningful. The NBA, the regular season, is all about drama. What do we talk about in the NBA? We, we joke around about it on my radio show that I do with Brian Scalabrini. We always say halftime of the first game is when we start talking about the MVP conversation. It's, it's unbelievable how that topic in the NBA starts in October and goes the entire year. And then we talk about who's going to make the all-star team and then all the drama off the court. The Lakers, because it's the Lakers, it's just like the Boston Celtics, you know, right. you know the big-time traditional franchise. But LeBron is he's a compelling guy because he'll always do something or say something that is going to attract people to it. And, you know, people, listen, with him – we praise him a lot as a player. Some of the things that he says could be a little nutty and a little wacky. His TV show, it's always kind of uh, fun to poke fun at that. So he's compelling from that standpoint. But the, you're right. I did their game on Saturday night on the Yes Network. The Nets played them. That was that was pretty rough. Listen, Anthony Davis was good, but they got a lot of no-name guys. That that's not, you know, James, that's not James Worthy and Magic Johnson walking <laughs> through that door. That's for sure. Not even Kurt Rambus in some some <laughs> no. instances either. <laughs> It's more like Smush Parker. Remember when he played? <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what it was like. <laughs> uh, you just discussing uh, Boston and uh, randomly on the way out here. So you you mentioned the the players behind the scenes in the locker room there for the Celtics. Like, hey, you're going to let him walk, but he can't coach for us. Do the players there want Udoka to continue to coach there after this year? Like, did is the sentiment there like, hey, we want him back, or is it don't let him go for free right now I, type I, thing? I, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But you know, Joe Mazzulla, who by the way came to the team. Uh, with Brad Stevens. So he's kind of a Brad Stevens guy who's running the organization where a lot of the assistant coaches still there are Ime Yudoka guys. So they have that whole dynamic. I can't imagine he's going to coach the team again after the, uh, this whole thing. And remember, in that his kind of agreement with the Celtics, if he goes somewhere, they can't ask for compensation. So I think the Celtics are thinking, if somebody else takes him, then we don't have to do a buyout with him. I think the players would want him back. I think they. I think the players feel like he probably got railroaded, but uh, I don't. I doubt it's going to happen. What's your favorite segment on PTI? Um, I used to like. Well, I like when they did the thing where they 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 did what the was faces. called role play, where they put yeah. the face and then they would act like the guys. I thought I never got to do that <laughs> with them, but when you know, sometimes they have me dress up, look like an idiot, 
I just like going down. I like, you know, what's fun about it too. I get to go down to DC and spend some time down there, which is fun. Yeah. Then the, the whole crew there is awesome too. Uh, five good minutes. That, that's what I would vote for. I like the, the well, chats there. And, and I'll tell you what, Steve Young, who I did it with him last Thursday, he was really good. He was talking about he would be uh, sending in hand signals, but Joe Montana was actually reading Bill Walsh's lips and knew what plays were coming. <laughs> Think about that. That's how he said, he said that's how good Montana was. Like he knew everything that they really wanted as Bill Walsh is mouthing it. It's pretty cool. These are the stories I'm here for, to hear yes. things like that. Uh, this has been terrific, Frank. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, more, Thanks, t- more talk hey. about the Jets or Giants there. You know what? It's really more of a giant town. Okay. Jets fans. So you know the Jet fans are the ones that will fight you. It's more of a uh, yeah. more of a giant town. But everyone, everyone's pumped up. I mean, both teams have a winning record. Who would have thunk it? I know. Crazy man. Hey, appreciate the time. Love the work, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll have you on down the road. Appreciate it. Thanks, boys. Stay out of trouble in Nashville. Yeah, we'll right? try. Do our best. We'll it's, not, it's not Vegas, but it's <laughs> We're close. We're at a distillery. We'll try here. Yeah. I'll uh, see you guys. There's Frank Thanks. Isola, uh, Sirius XM NBA Radio Plus. On uh, ESPN, you'll see him on PTI. And I need to get Frank down here to try shows. some of these moonshine cherries at some point. No that's on the on the desk in front of me. Uh, you know who has tried them is uh, Billy Lucci. Uh, Billy Lucci, TexAgs.com, frequent uh, contributor to the show as well. He's always nice enough to join us and give us insight from College Station on the Aggies. Just a few things to talk about with the Aggies. Wow. Just a few. What a drop-off. And if not for the 100-yard recovery and return for a touchdown by uh, against Arkansas. We're talking about a three-win team right now. Billy Lucci from Texags joins us next and now kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Oh, kick 360 rolls on live in Nashville, 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. With Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton, talking uh, football every day, NFL, SEC, and beyond. And it's hard to discuss the SEC and not mention Texas A&M. It was hard during the offseason. We're previewing the 2022 regular season. We're discussing the schedule and, you know, the second best team in the West and they high accolades no matter where you look and now i mean it's really stunning that they've gone 12 straight games chad a and m we mentioned this earlier 12 straight games in fbs without scoring 30 points or more um and you've got you know a situation where they open the season sixth in the country and they currently are not going to a bowl game that's official after the loss to auburn billy lucci always kind enough to join us owner of texags.com and I mean, let's face it, he could be the mayor, governor, however you want to describe it, any office he would like to hold. He's the, the man. Could hold he it. is the man. That's right. And stories for days. We always get a great story. We'll ask him one at the end of this. But uh, the story in College Station are the Aggies and the lack of production. Billy, how are you, man? I'm good. I, I wish I was in Tennessee right now. That sounds <laughs> 
pretty amazing, especially if y'all give me some of that moonshine. I we'll need send it. you some, man. We've got some moonshine here for you, Billy. Whenever you're ready, <laughs> man, come around. Our, our town is your town when you we, come in. Yeah, we owe you a lot more than that. Um, hey, so we we were mentioning this earlier. We felt like last time you joined us, the buyout, it wasn't going to happen, right? It, it, yeah. Ha, has anything changed in regards to that since the last time you joined us, which was roughly a month ago? No, I, I don't think I don't. Nothing's changed. Here, here's the thing on the buyout. Everybody keeps throwing out that eighty something million, right? It's also north of a hundred million when you think of staff. You know, it's not just Jimbo that would go. That buyout is right now today would be north of a hundred million dollars. And does A and M have that kind of money? Yes and no. I mean. This myth that there are donors that are going to cut a big check and hand it to a guy, they're way more likely. And in fact, it's what's going on from some of the mega donors that I talk to and, and consider friends is they're they're asking Jimbo or, or Ross Bjork, like saying, what do we need to do to help get Jimbo through this and to the other side? Because they recognize the situation with the contract and they they understand that that's that that is a mountain too too tall to clear because say you're you're one of these multi hundred million billionaire types you're not going to give i mean they're just you're not going to give jimbo somebody's not going to step up and go yeah i'll give this guy 40 million dollars to go live in west virginia and do nothing um they don't get rich that way and and they will give 20 million 25 million to a&m's football facilities they will throw support at Jimbo Fisher or Kevin Sumlin or Mike Sherman or Dennis Franchoni or R.C. Slow, whoever is sitting in that chair. When they're not going to be sitting in that chair anymore, it makes it a lot – they're a lot less inclined to just hand somebody that much money that's going away and it's no longer going to be working at Texas A&M. So, no, I haven't heard anything going that way. And, in fact, I've, I've heard the exact opposite from some people that really do have power around here, which is – what do we need to do to help? What what needs to happen to facilitate the necessary changes, you know, to, to get us, meaning Texas A&M and you, Jimbo Fisher, out of this, to call it a rut, I think would be an understatement, right? You guys mentioned it, it's 12 games. Here's my thing. From the point where Jimbo held up the Orange Bowl trophy um, and said, we ain't done yet, which Aggies loved, and I loved it too. I, w- I want the A&M football coach, basketball coach, baseball coach, whether it's Buzz, whether it's Slosh, to stand up there and say, we're here. And, and you know, it's the, it's the mindset that Texas A&M embraces and likes. I'm not saying take back the quote, um, but live up to it when you say it. And since that time, A&M, if I'm not mistaken, is sitting at 11 and 11. Mm. If I'm not wrong, right? 12 games last year, 10 this year. Yeah, they're 11 and 11 since that time, eight and four and three and seven. So it has been a rough skid. And out of that 11 and 11 are wins over Colorado, New Mexico, Sam Houston. So, you know, you really almost go eight and 11 in games that matter since that point in time. So they have hit, they have hit a pretty big skid. You start looking at those numbers. And they look like, you know, almost like what Dan Mullen was doing at Florida down the stretch, where I was sitting here in College Station going, golly, people are on Jimbo. Look what 
look what Mullen's doing over here. They look a lot, their numbers look a lot like what Steve Sarkeesian's done in Austin. I do want to throw that out there because I've been hearing it from Longhorns. And unfortunately, you know, the Aggies and Longhorns right now are in a big giant mid-off, uh, literally <laughs> mid-off, sitting at 11-11 each <laughs> since the start of last season. It's, it, they're down, we're down bad here in Texas unless you're, uh, unless you're a fan of the, uh, the team in purple up in Fort Worth who's rolling. So, Billy, I'm going to throw this scenario at you because I've, I've, I've talked about this on the show a little bit. Let's say that I'm one of these mega donors at, at A&M and someone from the football program, could be Jimbo Fisher or someone else, comes in and says, hey, we're going to need $5 million in uh, our collective you know, to help maintain this great recruiting class we had last year to see that these a lot of these guys don't transfer away. And this is going to go on at every major program in the country. Uh, this offseason when terms of transfer and you've sure. got you've got 85 free agents every single year turning over that could leave your program but if I'm one of these donors I'm coming back and saying I don't really love the return on investment that's going on right now with this recruiting class what I will do is give five million dollars to hire the best offensive coordinator in America to help revamp yeah. this offense and have a quick change a year from now where the talent is there and let's start doing something on offense, but that would require Jimbo Fisher relinquishing the offense to an offensive coordinator. What do you think about that scenario with donors? I think that's already happened to a degree. Um, now, fortunately, there's plenty that are going to do the work on the collective side as well, but I think there's people have stepped up and said, hey, that's what I meant earlier when I said, we'll do what we have to do. Um, and there's a couple of them in particular that will say, hey, we'll, whatever the coaching change side of this is, we can do that. But it's interesting because do, do donors need to do that at a place like Texas A&M or can that be handled within the department, you know, athletic department funds to make, hire and, and, and make changes within the staff outside of the, the buyout of $87 million or something? And then does, do you say, however you can say it legally, because the school's not supposed to say or do you somehow does that message go great thought but we don't need it in terms of making a coaching change you know in terms of you know assistance or oc in particular why don't we use that that money would be better spent over here in terms of the collective so i think those type conversations are probably had not just at a&m but everywhere but in the case of the the coordinator thing I I don't think there's any doubt that Jimbo has to do that. I think he will. The question is, his words across the street at this press conference every week do not inspire any level of thinking that he thinks there's anything really wrong with what they're trying to do offensively, and it's more so the execution that bothers me when I listen to it, but I also know enough behind the scenes that I do think uh, there's going to be a significant change in the direction of this offense moving forward. And I do think it's going to be Jimbo's decision. And, 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 and by his decision, I think he's going to make that decision and, and, and decide he needs to take it in a new direction. I get that you can't sit in there, guys, for the last six weeks and say, yeah, our offense sucks, and I don't like it, and then go into a staff meeting of offense after that. Like, it just doesn't – I don't think that's the way to do business, but I do wish Jimbo would be sitting in there maybe not 
sit making it so convincing that he doesn't think there's that much wrong with it and they're that close in some weird way. You know, had Anem beaten Auburn or lost to 31-28, I think you'd be seeing a coach right now going, hey, once Connor Wigman came in, look what we did. 28 against Ole Miss, 31 against Auburn. Told you this thing works. And it, it's not. It, it, it can Even if that were the case, it can be so much better. The talent is there for it to be so much better. And I think Jimbo Fisher, people don't agree with this. I think he's a brilliant offensive mind. I just think he needs to be pulled you know, and he's not going to get pulled against his will. And that's what that's the part where I think everyone's correct. He is set dug in and he's not going to be pulled against his will. That's why you let him make the hire. He finds somebody that he vibes with and, and maybe even is enamored with a little bit like, oh man, I, I really enjoy talking offense with this guy during the interviews and have someone that they can ride that, you know, can bring him along with him into this kind of, uh, I don't know if you say modern era, but just kind of the current way offenses are seem to be succeeding around the country and, and even around the SEC. So that I think is the path to doing it. We'll see, you know, what moves Jimbo makes probably, I think, beginning in a week and a half, maybe the day after you play LSU. Is there a name or an offense that intrigues you, Billy, that Texas AM may target for an offensive coordinator? or play caller that they could bring in at this point? Uh, I don't know Texas A&M-wise because that's, that's – I'll find out more about that as if and when things open up and, he's, and an actual search gets underway. Um, I haven't heard specific names. Names that I, I would like to see are guys like – obviously Garrett Riley's a hot name right now. Not a lot of experience behind that. Um, at TCU, I, I've always liked – I like him on a personal level. He was a GA here way back in the day when I was just getting started. Uh, and Jeff Grimes, who's at Baylor, I, I think his style of play fits in this league, uh, that physicality. And that, so I like what the guy at Wake Forest does. And Jimbo's had success hiring a coordinator from Wake Forest before and Mike Elko. Um, uh, I like what Phil Longo is doing and has done at North Carolina. So – those are just a few names. Um, I don't know. I, I half expect just, hey, let's just get the whole thing going in the full circus mode and go hire Bobby Petrino away from Mi Missouri State and just, like, just go all in with the craziness and embrace it. Uh, there's no telling which way they'll go. Um, I could even see Jimbo maybe even looking in an NFL direction. I, I haven't heard anything like that, but that wouldn't shock me either. I, I don't think that's the answer, though, because I think that just kind of sticks a little too much in the lane. And I don't expect him to go all the way. I don't expect this to be like an air raid type of move at all. In fact, I, I would go as far as say that ain't happening. But there's a lot between what Jimbo and A&M are doing and, and the air raid. And I don't know if he's going to go past – 50% are there, but I'd like him to get a lot closer, you know, over there to the middle. And I think that's what you'll see him do. Billy Lucci, TexAx.com with us. I know you're tired of the A&M and Longhorn comparisons here, uh, but I'll at least make one more. Texas last year brings in Gary Patterson. For a short time, they were considering David Cutcliffe as well. Um, maybe that has to do with recruiting with the Manny. Who knows? Um, we know yeah. Cutcliffe's with the SEC. 
Could we also see that where there is a a friend of Jimbo Fisher that comes in as not an analyst, a consultant, a a senior assistant, not not offensive coordinator. You get where I'm going here. Could that also be an avenue where Jimbo Fisher, since you said it is his call, calls someone from his past to come in and help fix things? Maybe maybe Cutcliffe would come be your OC. That'd be I think that'd be pretty a good one. Pretty nice. They don't have a quarterback this year. Maybe they get cut in Arch Manning. <laughs> yeah. Well, the transfer portal's kidding. over. Yeah. By I'm the way, t- Texas fans are going to hear just that want and to upset love that, that one. Yeah. 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 I just want to <laughs> upset them. No, they've never. That was never even an option. But um, no, I I think everything's on the table. Okay. And and I would love to see Jimbo get one of those guys. You know, I read the article in the Athletic the other day. Um, how does he? How do you even say his name? The guy that just got named the head coach at Charlotte today, um, <laughs> or rumored to be taking it or whatever. Pogi, the Pogi, I think. Uh, I can yeah, barely say P- your yeah. last name. P O G G I, right? I think it's Pogi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, that article was pretty interesting about you know how that kind of yeah you know, he was such a uh, life preserver there for Jim Harbaugh who was essentially drowning, and they had a similar. If you look at looking for a, a comparison, that is that is one. You can also look at Notre Dame with how Brian Kelly had to reinvent himself after that year they went, I believe, maybe four and eight. Now, the difference is Kelly had a lot of sustained success there at Notre Dame prior to that. He had taken them to a national title game. But it, there are similarities in Kelly at Notre Dame, Harbaugh, and what Jimbo's going through here. I would love to see him, like you mentioned Cutcliffe. And again, I haven't heard anything about that name, but – like a guy like that, that I think Jimbo Fisher could sit down with, you know, at some point every single day and just shut the door and talk. And a guy that could be perfectly honest with him, brutally honest if need be, but also just on on the same level of just talking like, hey, what are you seeing? You're new here. What do you see? Talk to me. And who knows? I mean, I, I would love to see that. I think A&M would create that position if Jimbo wanted it. I just don't know if there's any desire uh, on his part to have that or, or to go down that road. I'm not trying to make the last five weeks impact the next five years, but yeah, how much has LSU's resurgence impacted A&M's chance at grabbing the mantle that we expected them to grab this preseason? Oh, I think it affects it big time because – Brian Kelly and his – I never thought – and I, you guys probably didn't either. I know the people in Louisiana didn't even that, – that Ed O was going to last and that success was going to be sustained. I never thought that – I never was that scared of Les Miles, even though he was beating A&M. I mean, they were losing typically three, four, three games minimum a yep. year, uh, with the exception, obviously, of – you know, but from when A&M joined the SEC – LSU sitting on two losses. If if they lose another game, and look, they've done a hell of a job, but they've lost two games or more. I mean, they've lost three games minimum every year since A&M joined the SEC in 2012, except one, which was obviously one of the best years we've ever seen. Brian Kelly, I think his low years are going to be you know, the nine and three type seasons. I'm not saying he's going to go win multiple titles there, but 
he's going to turn them into a national title contending program in, in pretty short order. His track record says he is. And that place, unlike AM, where you have to build up, AM reminds me of like more like a Clemson and what Dabo did, where you have to build it up and then, then you can sustain it. But you got to have three years of really high success for it to just roll. USC, Texas, Michigan, Ohio, or, you know, or the teams that are down a little bit, USC, Miami, uh, even. Not, not maybe not so much Tennessee, but LSU is certainly one of those where like one year you can ride that in the momentum and what you can do in that state and what they can do now via NIL. People want LSU to be good. Recruits want them to be good. So for it to hit the way it has in year one, especially after losing two games, um, and for Kelly to do, I mean, Kelly to do that in the year that this if you're an Aggie fan, you go, if Texas A&M was 80% of what not just people here in College Station, but all around the country thought they were going to be, if A&M was the 12th best team in college football right now, they might, they'd probably be playing LSU for the SEC West title. Obviously, they're nowhere near that. But if they were preseason number six, if they were the 12th best team this year, because the teams they've played have not been that good. And they came two yards from beating Alabama. And, and part of that was they didn't have to play the Heisman Trophy winner. It was one of the biggest breaks of all time. If this was a top 15 team or so, they're probably sitting at 9-1 and one or 8-2 and two right now. And, and that's a shame. That's a, such a wasted opportunity for this program. And, and here's the thing now. You missed your window. You can get back in the window, but now you got company because LSU is not going anywhere. So that's what I would say the last five weeks have meant is you could have kept your momentum rolling and said, oh, man, it sucks that you guys are here, but I guess I guess you can be here with us. Now A&M has got to climb back up and kick that door in again. I don't think LSU necessarily keeps A&M from doing that, but the Aggies had such a head start there that they let just completely get away from them. So, fortunately for them, Oklahoma, neither Oklahoma nor Texas are taking advantage of this either. Billy, last thing for you. Please tell me that Moose Muhammad was not benched because he decided to wear sleeves, and that's the only reason he that he didn't play on Saturday night. Are you serious? I think he was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he tweeted it. He said it, and I, I heard that during the game. Someone texted it to me. I didn't even believe it. Was there an outburst associated with it? I keep thinking there has to be more of a backstory to where there was like an outward defiant attitude the week of or going into it and then he came out in the sleeves and there was a fight, but it was just as simple as he wanted to wear sleeves and he couldn't. To the best of my knowledge, and I could be wrong on some small detail here, but I've asked a lot of people and it sounded like in pregame, I don't know if that was in the locker room or if that was out there on the field. The skill guys were told, hey, no sleeves out here tonight. I think it had to do with the weather. I think Moose had fumbled a or muffed a punt against South Carolina with them. And it's kind of been a thing that Jimbo has done at times dating back. I've talked to somebody that's been with him since his days at Florida State. And he said, no, no sleeves. And I think it's ball security related for the skill guys. And 
all of them. You know, I don't know who had them on and took them off or who already didn't have them, but none of them wore sleeves. And he refused. He said it on his own Twitter. He did. He thought it helped him uh, for protection and performance purposes. And he wasn't going to play without them. And I got a lot of questions like, why is he still on the sideline? I think it was as simple as I, I do. I did hear from some people that were that observed it. And I think he was on the op- was it the opening kickoff or something? And there was a confrontation on the sideline about it between he and Jimbo and, and uh, receivers coach James Coley. Uh, I know a couple of players, at least a couple that went up and were kind of imploring him to take him off. He didn't, didn't want to take him off. I think if he'd have taken him off after one drive or two or in the third quarter or whenever, as soon as he took him off, he, he I, I don't know this, but I'm pretty sure that that was why he was out there. As soon as he took him off, he could go out there and play. I just felt like the whole thing is such a distraction. The camera keeps cutting over there, and you you just didn't want to explain any of it to the booth. So TV could have just said, you know, what it was. And I, I get that Jimbo's trying to keep things in-house, but to not address it yesterday in a presser when the kids got it out on Twitter, you're not protecting him from anything. And I think it's just, hey, I'm the head coach. I'm going to discipline my team. I, my decision for ball security purposes was I didn't want them wearing sleeves in that condition. He decided he didn't want to take them off. He's not going to play with them. That's my decision. I don't think on his part that's micromanaging. I think Brian Kelly would do that. I think Nick Saban would do that. I think I just wonder why you just don't say somebody, don't let him back out here unless he comes out here without sleeves. Or in the presser, just to explain it as such, like, hey, I'm disciplining my guys. I'm going to continue to do that. And uh, we've we've discussed it. It's all good. He he didn't play this week. He'll play next week or whatever it is. But guys, you know this. This is just what happens when you're losing a lot of football games and you're losing six games in a row, and it feels like the wheels have come off. These type things only happen when things are going that way on the field. Am I right? No doubt about it. It flows to the top of the surface for sure. Billy Lucci yeah. all over it as always. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Billy Lucci. Better yet, just go to texags.com. Uh, and the next time you're in Nashville, Billy, we've got any flavor of moonshine you want. Got or, these cherries for you here, Billy. I'll pack it up and send it your got way. Got your name man. on it. Some uh, moonshine cherries for we you. We always appreciate Seriously. you. We'll see you soon. I'm coming to Nashville. I'm going to make a trip, and we're going to have some stories to tell after that trip on the next the next appearance. Absolutely. That, that sounds good. We'll, I, we'll make Clay pay for it. Yes. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. <laughs> he can. All right, All right thanks, man. Guys. Thanks, Billy. Talk to you soon. There's uh, there's Billy Lucci, always kind enough to join us. And, um, you know, next time he comes on, I want to ask him. We ran out of time there, Chad. I want to find out, you know, when he talks to these Texas A&M donors over dinner, the net worth of the room. Like, he's sitting in a room with how much money? Because I think it would blow your mind with the oil money that he talks to there. Not to name drop here, but I'll always remember Billy introducing me to Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel on the sideline with A&M driving to beat Bama <laughs> in that moment. And Manziel looking at me say, hey, man, great to meet you. I'm, I'm going to check this out, though, right yeah. now. I'm like, Johnny, got better things. don't worry about it, man. I am not important right now. You get back to watching your Aggies knock off number one Alabama. This is Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Huge thanks to Jason Campbell, John McClain, Frank Isola, Billy Lucci. If you missed those chats, podcast always available wherever you download your audio. Just search out Outkick 360. Tonight, Chad, college football playoff rankings will be announced. That's a little bit later than usual. I think it's at 8 o'clock Central, 9 Eastern, around there at halftime of uh, the Tuesday night uh, tip-off on ESPN. Champions Classic. There it's Kentucky-Michigan State tonight. Thank you. Um, expectations about the same? Yeah, the only change is going to be Oregon falling after the loss. We'll see USC move up. USC will move up slightly. Uh, UCLA will fall after their loss to Arizona. But I think one through five will remain exactly the same. Any chance that TCU could bump up ahead of Michigan? No. Well, no. I think that that would be the one surprise that I've thought of based on how they won against Texas, not scoring more than 30 and doing it the Texas way. I know TCU's defense was good. Point being... We haven't seen that type of performance and have them win. It's been a fourth quarter. If comeback. Michigan didn't just utterly dominate Nebraska, I yeah. think maybe, but they okay. won like thirty-four to three or something was the final. So that was uh, utterly embarrassing. Brent on the YouTube chat says Billy Lucci seems like the guy I would definitely drink a beer with. I responded and said Hutton and I having drank beers with Billy Lucci can confirm. Hell of a guy to have a beer with. And I, I would cool. advise you doing yeah. so. Hey, uh, enjoy the sports evening. We'll recap the college football playoff rankings tomorrow. Plenty of college football discussion to set up the weekend as well. Hope you'll join us for Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network.